Welcome to the Runner's World Show. I'm Editor-in-Chief David Willey. This week we are bringing you two stories about the power of the mind. Now, at the end of last week's show, I said that Executive Editor Tish Hamilton and I were going to talk in this week's show about my recent trip to China. And that is half true. We're still working on that China piece, and we'll bring that to you next week. The part that is true is we bring you Tish Hamilton, who goes outside with editor Christine Fennessy. And unusually, they didn't go outside to run together, which they often do. In fact, Tish talks to Christine about why and how she's thinking about dialing her running routine back this summer. But first, we have Olympic medalist and Masters world record holder Dina Castor talking about the role of positivity in her running and in her life. And then in The Kick, we talk about the stories we've been focused on in the office this week, including a mind-blowing double beer mile, a new movie, Tracktown USA, hitting the big screen in L.A., and our stuffing of 12 members of the Runner's World staff into two vans for our first-ever Ragnar Relay. So stay with us, and thanks for listening. As a runner and as a person, Dina Castor has accomplished a lot. She is a three-time Olympian, and in 2004 in Athens, she won the bronze medal in the Olympic marathon in brutal heat, coming back from pretty far back in the pack in very dramatic fashion to finish third and finish in tears on the track and win the first Olympic medal since Joan Benoit Samuelson won gold in Los Angeles. She then went on to win the Chicago Marathon in 2005 and then the London Marathon in 2006, where she set the American record in the marathon that still stands today, two hours, 19 minutes, 36 seconds. She and her husband, Andrew, have a beautiful daughter, Piper, and an amazing life in Mammoth, California. She is a foodie and a cook, and she loves to drink wine, preferably red, and she just lives one of those lives that runners really dream about having. But Dina has also had a lot of adversity in her career. She followed up her Athens heroics by pulling out of the Olympic marathon in Beijing in 2008, and she desperately wanted to make her fourth Olympic team in 2012, but finished sixth in the Olympic marathon trials. She briefly thought about retiring, but in 2013, she turned 40 and has once again risen to the top of her sport as a master's athlete. She set the American record for master's in the marathon and the world record for master's in the half marathon at the Rock and Roll Philly half marathon, one hour, nine minutes, and 39 seconds. Dina, of course, is an incredible athlete. She trains very hard. She is the consummate professional. But I think one of the reasons she has staged this amazing athletic renaissance is because of her mental game. She is one of the most positive, optimistic athletes and people I've ever met. And in part because of that, we recently asked her to co-host our first ever Runner's World Getaway Weekend at the Weston Hilton Head Resort, where she gave the following talk, which has become known informally around here, at least, as the Positivity Talk. The one thing that has been the most surprising and most powerful tool to my success has been that of positivity. 
And being positive is really analyzing and correcting our, our thoughts and our self-talk and what sometimes accidentally comes out of our mouths and framing it in a more optimistic way. So it's important because our thoughts become our emotions and our actions and our habits. My first uh, dabble in positivity was making gratitude lists when I first became a professional runner. And at the time, my gratitude list before I went to bed, because I wanted to end the day on a positive note, my gratitude lists were things like extra hot cappuccinos and seeing the sun set over Mount Blanca and walking the dog along the Rio Grande River. And after 15 years of appreciating and um, paying tribute to what I was grateful for, I ended up um, going about my day searching for things to add to my list that night. And so it was kind of this self-propelling um, virtual cycle of searching for things to be grateful for. And to boot, on top of that, the added bonus was the fact that when I sat down for that extra hot cappuccino, it actually tasted even better. It became this um, almost a sacred moment as opposed to just something I enjoyed in the middle of the afternoon. So um, gratitude lists were one of my favorite uh, pastimes. But when, um, when it came down to thinking about um, my self-talk and what came out of my mouth accidentally as I'm rushing out the door to go to practice and a bit late and right before the door closes, I say to Andrew, who was my boyfriend at the time and he married me anyway, I said, don't forget to take out the trash. And he said, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Can you just, he said, I'll remember to take out the trash, but it would sound so much nicer if you said, remember to take out the trash. And I dwelled on this the whole day and the next and the next. It does sound better. It sounds so much less nagging. So I started thinking in practice, oh, my gosh, I can't keep this pace. I can't possibly keep this pace to I am keeping this pace and I'm pushing my limits from don't lose contact, don't lose contact to maintain this, maintain this, stay attached. And I remember in this, in this practice of, of trying to alter my thoughts and, um, and really be mindful of the way that I was, I was thinking and speaking, that I listened to Billy Mills. He's the, the gold medalist in the 10,000 meter from the Tokyo Olympics. And he was talking about a story that he was reading a psychology book at the University of Kansas where he went to school. And he learned that your subconscious does not process negative words. And I thought, well, that's cool. Look at that, our subconscious doing all the work for us. And he said, it may sound good in theory, but if you say to yourself, don't settle, and your subconscious isn't processing don't, it's processing settle, which is the exact opposite of what you're intending. So science and psychology shows that the, the practice of positive thinking creates a chain reaction of positivity in, both internally and in, in its effects. Endorphins flood your body. You create neural pathways that carve possibility within us. Did you know that if you smile, even if you're not happy, your body stops producing cortisol, our major stress hormone, and floods your body with endorphins, making you feel, well, happy, even though you didn't feel happy to begin with. So even the, the gesture of forcing a, a smile on your face has a, has a chemical and physiological effect in your body. My most recent example of how powerful optimism and positivity is was um, prior to the Chicago Marathon. And in this, um, leading up to the race, 
I had a rocky buildup, and I complained to my husband about it. I said to him, as I'm throwing up, I can't come in from throwing up in the bathroom, I had the flu, you know, I'm not going to run this marathon in a couple weeks. And he said, really? Why is that? You've been working so hard. And I said, well, working hard, I've had allergies for six weeks this whole fall. Ever since I was pregnant with Piper, I've had allergies. The rabbit brush and sagebrush, every fall just destroys me. I said, I had allergies for six weeks that compromised my training. And those California fires that kept blowing in every, every morning and ended me on the treadmill instead of working out hard on the roads um, wreaked havoc on my training. And my travel with my sponsor had me in Palm Springs one weekend and Sacramento another weekend and on the East Coast on six different occasions. Then I get a phone call at practice one morning and it's the teacher saying Piper has the flu. So being the gold medal mom I am, I went put on um, my, tra- my trainers back on and I jumped in the car and I drove to school and I picked her up and I coddled her for a few days until she felt better. And a day went by where things were normal and then I got the flu. And there I was two weeks before the marathon. I can't possibly run this. And my husband said, hmm, funny coming from you, the optimist. And I'm so surprised to hear you say that because although all of this happened, you still got in your longest long runs that you've ever gotten in in the past 10 years. You've run your longest tempo run that you've ever done in your lifetime. And you still managed to run sub five minutes on every speed workout that you've done in the past month. And despite all those excuses you mentioned, and that's where he got me, because I do not like the word excuses. I, like, I prefer challenges because challenges show that you have a solution in mind. And so I immediately, to be defiant, um, chose to be optimistic in that moment. And my self-talk in Chicago went something like this on the starting line. Okay, here we go. Every old cell in this body knows how to do this and faster. And all you new cells, jump on board for a crash course on what it takes. And the gun goes off, and I pass my first water bottle. And I love, though, that I was passing my calories and my hydration and realized I missed my first water station. Crucial mistake. And instead of panicking, I said, all right, I'm just going to grab a glass of whatever's on the course. Hopefully it's a Pinot Noir from California. <laughs> and, um, and it was Gatorade, but I took it anyway. And uh, so I drank that, and I moved on. Next, I kept hearing everyone, it happened in the media center also, talking about how hot it was going to be, and the runners around me were saying, hot, it's so hot, it's so hot, in the middle of the race. And I thought, well, gosh, at least there's more spectators out here, so they're enjoying this. Then at mile 18, I got tripped from behind, and it created this weird hitch in my step, like there was this phantom kick that just kept happening. And so I decided, okay, I'm just going to roll with this. I'm going to make a, a little surge here and see if I, can, if I can break this hitch in my step. And then we got to that 20-mile mark. You know, that point in a marathon where it's so overanalyzed. You start deep thinking about how things feel. How's your body feel? How's the mind doing? How's the legs? How's that old injury? And 20 miles, I felt amazing. I was like, all right, I got this. This is, this is really working for me. 21, another story. 21 miles hurt real badly, but I dug down, and I took one mile at a time, and at mile 24, I gave a wince, and they gave a look at my watch, and by God, I was still on pace, and that excitement of still being on pace, 
excited me and brought me to the finish line under the, under the record, and I really owe that to optimism both in my buildup and in the race itself. Just as training cycles build on one another, so does positive thinking and emotions as well. And so I like to think of positivity as cross-training for your brain. Um, By practicing positivity, we are actually rewiring the brain and strengthening centers of our brain that are responsible for belief and love and gratitude and growth. So that practice is is certainly crucial. The continued practice is is crucial to, to developing a positive mind. But it takes practice and continued practice. And just after my 40th birthday, I was running on um, Owens River Road in Mammoth Lakes, where I live. And I've run this road 100 times. It's where I trained for Olympic Games and national championships and record attempts. And I was with my teammates, but not really, because the men were far ahead of me and the women were somewhere behind me. And I was at 18 miles of a 20-mile run and suffering greatly. And this comes on the heels of of dabbling in retirement, searching about what that might look like. We bought a camper van, and someday we're just going to set out to all the national parks. And the camper van sat in our driveway for a long, long time because of this day. I thought to myself, I don't have to be out here. What am I doing? I don't have to be suffering like this out here by myself alone on this long road. And my fastest days are behind me. What am, I, what am I doing? And all of a sudden, I was ripped out of my thought because my left hamstring was killing me. And I said, okay, Miss Optimist, let's think of your right hamstring, which happens to be fine, but that leg's not so good either. So let's not focus on your legs at all. Let's focus on your upper body. My God, my shoulders are up in my ears, and I'm hunched over. I'm two inches shorter than I have ever been in my entire life. So my body's failing me, so let's go to the mind, Miss po- being mispositive. Well, I am positive this run sucks. All right, we are getting away from my mind, away from my body. I am looking straight down this road, that long road. And there's washboards. Well, it brings me back to my body because, of course, my feet and ankles are killing me. These washboards have just been going on and on for, for mile after mile. So let's look up these beautiful volcanoes that have history and these 14,000-foot peaks. And I look up, and by God, there's a bald eagle flying there. Where did he come from? I bet he came from Convict Lake. If I were a bald eagle, that is exactly where I would live. What is he doing down here in the valley? I bet he is going to dive into that river, and he is going to pick a trout. Will it be rainbow or a golden trout? Golden would be a little rare right here. But if he picks out a trout, I have never seen that before. Actually, I have seen that before. That time that my dad gave me Planet Earth for Christmas... That Christmas was the best. It was 2006. Yeah, 2006, when we decided, my mom, dad, sister, and I, that we would only give recycled or perishable gifts, and I was praying that they would give me wine, but I got planet Earth, and this whole box set, I plowed through it. It was so amazing. I should have I ran on the treadmill with it, actually, because then I could have gotten more than an hour in, but... Uh, watched planet earth and that bald eagle with his huge talons and his wingspan taller than I am was the most amazing thing and before I knew it the horn honked and it was the team van Dina you ran past the 20 mile mark what are you doing in your daydream I thought I'll be darned all these years, I thought I was done running, and that was the day that I realized I would never retire, that this is the lifestyle and a way of life, because running continues to teach me so much. And it's a good thing that these kind of runs, these epiphanies happen, because for so many years, 
I practiced positivity to try to be faster, to try to win races. And now I've gotten to a place where I chase that point in a run where that challenge is there, and I have to dig down for the for the to the bottom of my heart to find that positive side to get me through it. And it's become a part of who I am, that, that positive self. So some days we search for a mantra and motivation. We talk ourselves through a run. We use a power word or a powerful quote. And other times we simply need a distraction. So, so running has offered that to me. Positivity has offered that to me. And together they're a pretty wicked team. Um, but I'm certainly glad at the age of 43 that positivity doesn't have a biological window. Um, that we can continue practicing and continue to build our brains to be more positive. And when we continue that, it certainly makes moments of breaking a foot in the middle of the Olympic Games or having to pull out of the Olympic trials. Um, My last race, pull out of the Olympic trials a week ahead of time because I strained my glute in practice. These things could be chalked up to terrible timing or an athlete just pushing the limits and having injuries, but I really believe that the practice of positivity in those little moments in a run allow us to, to cope with bigger things in life when they come up with a positive mind. Some days, um, like my long run back on Owens River Road, positivity is a little harder to, to catch and we may struggle and, um, and struggle to find that silver lining But I'm here to tell you that that silver lining is always there, and it's well worth chasing. Thank you. After giving that talk, Dina sat down with Tish Hamilton and had a more wide-ranging conversation about being a mom and the best and worst races of her career and lots of other things. And we will bring that to you in a future episode. Speaking of Tish Hamilton, if there's anyone in the office who is always up for a lunch run, it's Tish. But recently, she's actually been thinking about backing off her running. She knows this won't be easy physically or mentally, but taking a page right out of Dina Castor's positivity book. She's trying to cast it mentally, not as project backing off, but rather as project building strength. Here, she explains everything to Christine Fennessy. I'm Tish Hamilton, the executive editor of Runner's World. I ran my first marathon in 1989, and I have run 51 since then, which, frankly, I can't believe. Tish is, without question, a runner in every sense of the word. Her job, her social life, her daily routine, her sanity, and her identity, it all revolves around one thing, running. I live running pretty much 24-7, 365. I mean, it's really in everything I, I eat and do and breathe and sleep. <laughs> a couple months ago, something happened that made Tish rethink all that time on the road. She and I headed outside last week to talk about what's been on her mind. This past April, I ran the Boston Marathon, and honestly, I had a terrible day. Um, I knew it wasn't going to be pretty. I had gotten sick in March, at the beginning of March, and I pretty much lost four weeks of training. Um, But I thought, well, you know, it's Boston. I've got to run Boston. 
So I set a time in my head, um, which was 4.30. I thought, I can probably do that. Um, But then the day got hot, and I didn't adjust further, and I should have. And it really slowed me down even from my, you know, slow expectations. So I was out there for almost five hours. It's a long time to be running, and I was by myself a lot because I was in the back of the third wave, and the entire race, like, left me in the dust. (laughs) So I had a lot of time to think, and I thought, you know what? I've been doing a lot of marathons lately the past few years. I've been training really hard. I've been running hard and never really taking a break. I know I've got New York City on the calendar in November, but I really need to have a mental and physical break from hard training. So she's created a grand plan for the summer. She'll run less and do a bunch of other things more. Things like ride her bike, hit the gym, go for hikes, which is a solid plan. Except that Tish is one of those runners who really doesn't like doing other things. And so her plan to cross-train and drop her mileage from about 40 miles a week to 25 miles a week is not going to be easy. It's hard for me to go down for many reasons. I'm used to the endorphins. I'm used to getting out my, my endorphin kick on running every morning, pretty much. And I'm used to burning a lot of calories and being able to eat, you know, up to, at a certain uh, level without gaining weight. And, and I like everything that I eat, so I don't want to give up anything that I eat. You know, and that does include ice cream, and it does include one or maybe two uh, glasses of wine every single night. And I drink whole milk in my coffee, and I drink a lot of it, you know, and I'm not giving up any of those things. Um, but, you know, mostly we're doing exercise in the morning before work, so one hour is pretty much the limit. And a one-hour bike ride doesn't really feel like you're exercising that much, quite frankly, you know. Uh, and I don't think you're really burning a whole heck of a lot of calories in, in a one-hour bike ride. So certainly not nearly as many as you burn in a one-hour run. So (laughs) that's a challenge. It's not just the calorie-crushing endorphin kick that she's going to miss. Tish's closest friends are all runners. Sometimes they ride bikes together, but it's just not the same. You know, we're really runners first. We're not very good at riding side by side. And, you know, one person will ask a question, and the other person's like, drop back. And you shout at each other, what? What did you say? What? Huh? I can't hear you. You know, when you're talking about your personal dramas, which you tend to do on, on a run, is that the kind of thing you really want to be shouting on a bike? <laughs> So, um, you know, that's one of the challenges, quite frankly, is is not having that time together with a friend to, to chat. But it wasn't like you weren't being held back by injury. So I think a lot of people would be like, well, if it's not broken, why why do you need to fix it? So, yeah, explain the value of kind of making this decision. I, you know, I got sick in March, and I got bronchitis and, um, and a fever, and, and I was really sick. And, you know, it's been eight or nine weeks, and to be quite honest, I'm still coughing up stuff in the morning, which is gross, but it's true. You have to think about, like, why did I get sick, and why did I get so sick? Like, why did bronchitis? level me for eight weeks and I think part of that is from you know running too much and and not ever taking a break it's so hard for me to take a break you know when I come if I run in the morning and I come to work and someone says you want to run at lunch I say yes I can't say no to a run it's just impossible Uh, last summer I also had um, a bout with Lyme disease possibly and I was on antibiotics for six weeks 
I just think I've been getting sick because I'm not taking enough, good enough care of my body. Now, you know, am I injured? No, I hate to use the word injured. Um, that's something I also have a hard time ever admitting. Um, but I have these little niggling aches and pains, and my hamstring's been sore for a while on and off. And it's not the end of the world. It doesn't keep me from running, but I know it's there and I feel it. So I just think, you know, riding a bike and hiking and walking dogs and stretching more and strength training more at the gym all of these things are going to make my body fitter and make me stronger and uh, hopefully, you know, it'll make me a happier person. That could be a good thing. Um, <laughs> like a lot of runners, Tish has tried branching out like this before. And like a lot of runners, she was not very successful. Um, the past two summers, I have um, gotten on my old bike. And in fact, I even re- rode a century, which is 100 miles for you non-riders out there, um, with a group of friends. And I felt like such a, um, a badass, quite frankly. Uh, but here's the problem that I've had with that, which I've just put the biking on top of the running. So I've kept my running really high, and I put biking on top of that. And it bought me, like, two or three weeks of exquisite fitness. And I was, like, such a super stud. You could, like, hardly be in the same room with me. Um, But that quickly uh, went to a very predictable place, which was burnout and injury and sickness, you know. And um, I really hurt myself before New York City Marathon a couple of years ago and I limped through the marathon and I did a decent enough time but my foot was killing me and uh, you know I hurt a hamstring um, the the same way you know it's like doing it's just doing too much it's like not just burning the candle on both ends but like taking a blowtorch to the candle and just melting that whole thing down and 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 I'm very um, susceptible to that you know I'm susceptible to wanting to do more 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 so I'm really going to try hard to like one my bike days I'm gonna ride my bike and not run that's a real concept right ride the bike and not run let's see if I can really do that have you thought anything about kind of your mental strategies of what you're gonna say to yourself when the one shoulder saying this is not enough tish this is nowhere near enough what are you gonna do I'm trying really hard to take days off in between running. This is the new um, compromise I've come to. Instead of, like, no running, I'll try to run every other day. Now, one thing I will say in the past couple of years when I have done a little bit of biking is is I do notice that it makes me so much stronger in my legs. And, and I've never been someone who's strong on hills as a runner. And when I get on the bike, I really, really notice that it makes me so much stronger on the hills as a runner. So that's a, a running payoff that I'm really banking on mentally. Like, get out there and ride your bike because it's going to help your running in the fall. So I'm going to keep telling myself that. Do you have any sort of goals with the bike that you're wanting to do this summer? I mean, we're heading into really great weather now, finally. And so does setting something that you want to do with your bike specifically make maybe the idea of riding it a little bit more palatable? I have a few I'm playing with in my head. There's a group that rides near where I live in central New Jersey. And um, it's a group of guys mostly, and that's a big pack. And I see them out in the mornings, and they ride pretty hard and fast. So I've got this really super secret goal. So I may just kind of sneak at the back of their pack someday and see how long I can hang with them. Um, another idea I'm toying with is finding a uh, longer ride, you know, one of those uh, rides, 75 miles or 100 miles, and get out and do one of those. Well, I did one of those a couple of summers ago. And it's a whole lot of fun. 
Um, so I, I, that's actually the key word there, isn't it? Fun. I'm trying to figure out a goal that will that will make it fun for me, something I know I can accomplish with with training, so that it doesn't become um, any kind of like burden. Uh, running running's never a burden, but there's always those goals hanging out over your head. You know, there's always trying to qualify for Boston or trying to beat a certain time, and I don't want that mentality to infect the fun of riding a bike. I want I want to keep biking fun. But so biking, cycling is not the only thing that you're kind of thinking of doing this summer in this in this project back off that you're in right now, right? <laughs> yeah. So you, you got a couple other things in mind. So in this project to back off, or maybe we should call it something more positive. How about project build strength? Um, I do have a couple of other things I want to do. So I'm riding my bike. I'm going to try to get to the gym. We have a gym right uh, at, at our at Rodale's headquarters. And it's pretty bare bones, but that's totally fine because I have a little routine I do of, of that our body um, shop editor recommends of clamshells and squats and and lunges, and I do some yoga strength stretches. So I'm going to try to do that routine, I would say, three times a week. But I think if I get two, that, that's pretty good. And then also I'm going to hike. And here's the other thing I've got coming up. In the end of July, I'm going on a backpacking trip that's going to be 50 miles and uh, in a canyon in, in California. And I've got to carry all my own my own gear so i've got to carry my tent and my uh and my sleeping bag and my clothing but more importantly and more heavily the food and water that i'm going to have for five days so um i you know that's another thing that i really want to build strength for and i've got endurance i've got plenty of endurance but i don't have a lot of strength so uh and i really want to have a great time and and uh and be able to do this without you know without suffering Hiking, cycling, yoga, and gym stuff. Tish, the Uber runner, is going to make a serious attempt to not run so much this summer. She's going to branch out and build strength and maybe even find a little bonus happiness in doing other sports for a while. So we're going to keep checking in on her to see how it's going. She knows it's going to be tough. So she'd like to deliver a message to all of her running buddies out there. This is for everybody out there who's going to ask me to go for a run. You know I can't say no, so please just don't even ask. Okay, Tish, I got it. No spontaneous lunch runs this summer. But as you know, I've been doing triathlons the past few years. And how about a ride? Okay, and now we have a slightly boozier, glitzier, and smellier edition of The Kick this week. Here are Kit Fox and Brian Dalek. All right, Kit, what do you have for us this week? All right, we're going to start with elite distance runner Alexi Pappas, who's had a better month than most of us, definitely me. On May 1st, she actually qualified for the Olympics. She'll be running for the Greek national team, which is where her family has roots, she ran the 10,000 meters and qualified with a time of 31.46.85. She's actually going to be the first female Greek athlete to ever run the 10,000 meters. Yeah, so it's cool that she's not only getting to run in the Olympics, but she's also making some moves off the track as well. Yeah, in between her 100-mile training weeks, over the past two years, she's been writing and actually now stars in a feature-length indie film called Track Town. So what's the movie all about? 
It's not a biography. It's fictional. So it follows uh, an elite runner named Plum Marigold. Oh, that's a good name. It's a great name. And it kind of examines the, the clash between an elite runner's life and everyone else's life. So she deals with going on a first date and um, dealing with a relationship with her divorced parents. And non-track fans are going to find it really funny to see the absurd things that elite track athletes have to do, like sleep in an oxygen-deprived tent and sprinkle protein powder on Mm -hmm. basically everything that they eat. Yeah, and there are other people who appear in this movie, right? So track nerds are going to love the fact that a lot of elite distance runners and people in the running community appear. Uh So the movie actually takes place in Eugene, Oregon, which is Tracktown, USA. And Alexi was able to use a lot of her connections to get these great cameos. So So who's in there? um, Nick Simmons is in there. He really is never wearing a shirt. At oh. all in the movie, <laughs> naturally. Um, Matt Centrowitz makes like a three-second appearance in the movie. Jerry Schumacher and his family mm-hmm. are in there. But also, in addition to the track athletes and people in the running world, uh, they really got some great actors. Andy Buckley of David Wallace, The Office fame, ah. plays Plum's father. And her mom is actually Rachel Dratch from SNL. So when can we see the movie? Where could we see the movie? So the movie is going to premiere at the Los Angeles Film Festival on June 4th, and the general public can buy tickets to that. They could potentially be doing a screening at the Olympic Trials in Eugene mm-hmm. at the beginning of July. And from there, they're um, they're still figuring out a distribution strategy, but we'll keep you all updated on where you can see it. So Alexi combining two of her passions with running and filmmaking, but there was a runner in Canada who combined running with one of his other passions, I guess, to go for a world record, right? Exactly. An elite masters runner named Jim Fenielsen decides to take on the beer two mile. Okay, so we've reported on the beer mile a lot since it's grown in popularity. For people who aren't aware of it, just explain the rules. Yeah, so a beer mile is going to be four beers and four laps on a 400-meter track. So you drink Mm -hmm. a a 12-ounce beer, run a lap, 12-ounce beer, run a lap, repeat four times. And I can assume that the beer two mile is double that. Yes. So double everything, double the beer, double the distance, double the amount of vomit. Right. Exactly. Um, So Jim decided to go for the world record. Now, naturally, as And there there, there is a world record for this. There is. It's kind of loose. I mean, the people who keep track of the beer two mile are not keeping the most detailed records. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a fastest known time on a trail type of thing. Exactly. So the the previous fastest known time, according to BeerMile.com, was 14 minutes and 27 (laughs) seconds. So fast. So very fast. 7, 10 miles. So Jim, on a track in Victoria, Canada, on May 13th, decided to take on the Beer 2 Mile. One of my favorite things, there is video, if people dare enough to watch it, he gathers the group before him um, before he starts and just wants to warn everybody that nobody has ever completed this without vomiting. Mm-hmm. And if you do end up vomiting during the the two miles, you actually have to take a penalty lap. So it would basically get rid of the record. So mm-hmm. he needed to hold everything in. So he, the man of an iron stomach, completed the beer two mile in 11 minutes and 39 seconds. So sub-six-minute pace, eight wow. beers. Um 
I don't know if you've ever tried to chug eight beers in under 12 minutes. No. I certainly have never done that. That's I, a bad idea just in general to chug eight beers in that amount of time, let alone run two miles during it. Um, there was a bit, a bit of drama during the course of this. On his last lap, he mm. comes around the final curve, and he kind of stumbles over to the inside of the track and puts his hands on his knees, but somehow holds it down. <laughs> comes back around the final lap and then of course the rules stipulate that as soon as you cross the finish line you're good to evacuate if you will mm-hmm. so then he ran over to a tree and just spewed out all that delicious beer yeah and the crowd's reaction was very appropriate Okay, so moving on, I know half of our staff was up in Cape Cod for the Ragnar Relay this past weekend. How did it go? Yeah, for those of you that don't know, a Ragnar Relay is a 24-hour race that's about 200 miles. Uh, Teams of 12 run it, and each person runs three legs, and it lasts overnight. And it was your first one, right? Yeah, it was my first one, and I definitely learned a few things. Like what? So I guess the the first one is I can't emphasize enough the importance of the gallon Ziploc plastic bag. Every time you run, you're going to want to change out of those sweaty, gross running clothes. And you've got six people per van. That's a lot of funk, a lot of stink. Throw those right in the Ziploc bag, and your van just smells so fresh. And it was raining a little bit over the weekend, right? So you, there's even an added element there. Yeah, we just had that nice moisture, you know, kind of circulating inside the van. Um, you know, maybe some Febreze. We didn't have Febreze, but Ooh. good tip. Bring some Febreze. Okay, so what else did you learn? So I had a pretty pretty nice lesson in running nutrition over these 24 hours um, I decided to have for dinner in between my first and second leg a fried fish sandwich with some tartar sauce and some french fries along with a nice IPA, you know, thinking that that would digest in the two hours I had for my next leg. So how did that go for you and how, how long was that next leg? Well, next leg was four miles and in terms of how it went, um, let's just say I want to give a shout out to the, uh, the shop and write bathroom, uh, you know, after the leg. Thanks, guys. That was much appreciated. <laughs> okay, so any other takeaways from your 24-hour relay? Yeah, I think I learned, you know, this is not just about the running. In fact, that's a, a small part of it because you spend hours and hours with, with people in a van. You get to know them really well, how they smell, what they talk about, <laughs> things like that. So I think that for me, it was mostly just about, you know, having fun, not being too concerned about pace or how I felt during my legs, mm-hmm. but just just hanging out, cracking jokes. But our Runner's World team they did pretty well, right? We actually managed to maintain somehow um, just over an eight-minute, 10-second-per-mile pace wow. and came in 42nd overall out of 500 teams. So it's largely because our gear editor, Jeff Dengate, was picking mm-hmm. up the slack for my tartar sauce and dropped uh, 630 miles pretty consistently. But if you guys want to check out more of what our experience was like or just what a Ragnar Relay is all about, you can check out YouTube or RunnersWorld.com. We're putting together a highlight video that will be up by the end of this week. Yeah, we'll definitely check that out. Thanks for joining us and sharing your experiences from Ragnar Kit. Yeah, thanks, Brian. It's what I've learned. The road can be rough. Tides can turn. But if you were to 
know yourself Don't have to worry about nothing else So I run That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please go on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. We really want to know what you're thinking. This episode was produced by Sylvia Ryerson, Christine Fennessy, and Brian Dalek, with editing help from Rachel Swaby and Mervyn Deganos. The music you're hearing now and that you heard at the top of the show was written and performed by Thunderhoof. We hope you'll join us next week when we really will bring you that episode about running in China. And we also hope you'll check out our second podcast, Human Race. Next week in episode three, we bring you Sylvia Wiener, an inspiring runner with an unbelievable backstory. They seem long, but it's all right if your heart is strong. Whether or not there's a number on your chest, always keep striving, trying to do your best. So I